On September 28th, Hurricane Ian intensified to a Category 4 storm, making landfall at its peak intensity, roaring ashore there in southwest Florida with sustained winds of 150 miles an hour, rainfall, dumping on community after community, some 500 years, some, th- some 1,000 year record rainfalls. I read of one community that received 15 inches of rain in 12 hours. All that water has to go somewhere. The problem is, as you know, it's going to want to go towards the ocean. But the ocean, because of the winds, was being pushed the other direction. That storm surge ranging from between 6 to 15 feet coming in from the bay. The estimated damage was between 30 and $60 billion. But the greater loss was, as of Friday, 115 lives that were lost. I know you've all heard the comments of the media and, you know, as they usually do, trying to fix blame somewhere. The media is asking the question, why didn't you listen to the forecast? Why didn't you listen to the projected forecast? Brian McNold, a hurricane researcher from the University of Miami, said, if you have known for five days that there was 67% chance that something very bad was going to happen, why wouldn't you do something? He, he, he asked the question, now, this morning I'm not trying to fix blame. This morning I'm not trying to uh, offer a defense one way or the other. I'm simply pointing out to you that there was a forecast. And the fact of the matter is, you know it, and these officers know it very well, that even if the mandate or the order went out to evacuate, there would be a number of the community that would take it upon themselves to completely disregard the order, disregard the warning, disregard the forecast, and they would decide of themselves, I'm just going to weather out the storm at my house. We've all seen the media reports, the news articles, uh, where they come and say, well, I I was just going to weather it out, and now they're being rescued off the roof. We've, We've seen those because they determined to, decided to ignore the forecast. There are storm chasers, people with less common sense than most of you, (laughs) that follow these storms around. They chase them and they they try and learn all they can about them so that they can give us the greatest amount of warning as to where the storm is going to hit next and to be ready for it. You know, that's what a forecast is. It's It's a warning. In Ezekiel chapter 33 Verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come, and take him away, his blood shall be on his own head. I heard the sound of the, he heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. That's pretty common sense. He says, hey, something's coming. Heed the warning. Listen to the forecast. You know, I told you I was raised to uh, honor the police. I know this is really going to be really hard to believe. One time, just once. When I was a teenager, I was skateboarding. I skateboarded a lot. That's not what happened once. (laughs) 
I was skateboarding at the mall, and this was in El Paso, Texas. And uh, there, I think it was off Lee Trevino Ave. I was skateboarding there, and the owners of the store called the police. And we saw a police car coming into the uh, location, right? (laughs) And we knew they were not there to say hello. So, of course, being on a skateboard, we took off. Well, the police car is obviously a lot faster than us. And uh, we, we were, you know, trying to evade capture from the police. But the police drove up. The officer got out of the car and he says, hey, stop. Well, I was taught to respect authority. When the officer said stop, I stopped. He said, come here. And so I walked over to him and he says, who are you? And I answered all of his questions. Yes, sir. No, sir. He put me back in the back of the squad car. One and only time I've ever been in there. He said, young man, do you want to go to jail? He was trying to put the fear of God in me. And it worked. Amen. (laughs) I've been scared straight ever since. Hey, I came a preacher. Hallelujah. (laughs) But he, he called out. I wonder this morning how many times these officers deal in situations where people do not heed the warning. People do not respond to the call. That officer said, hey, and I stopped. But there's a lot of people just ignore the call. They just ignore the warning. They just ignore the forecast. There's a couple things I want to give you about the forecast that are pertinent. And first of all, I want you to realize that it's important to know the forecaster. How many of you know that a lot of times the reason that we disregard the forecast is because the forecaster is often, they are wrong as often as they're right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know any other job that you could be wrong as often as a forecaster and still have a job. But that's the case, you know, often we'll be getting ready for an event here at church and Mary will tell me it's going to rain tomorrow. And I'll say it's not going to rain. She'll say the forecast is it's going to rain. I say it's not going to rain. They don't know what they're talking about. We're going to have the event regardless, whatever, because they're often they're wrong. And so there's an idea there that obviously uh, our response to the forecast is going to be in direct proportion to how credible we believe the forecaster is, to how much Uh, I guess there's not a better way to say it than credibility that forecaster has. How often has he been correct? Can I tell you this morning that the forecast that's given to us in the word of God concerning the end of man, concerning a coming peril, is 100% correct. God is the author of the word of God. It is, it is God's word, and it is 100% accurate. Everything that's recorded for us and told us about the coming days and the end of life or what people call the afterlife is all present in the word of God. And God, the forecaster, is 100% accurate. He's never failed. He's never been wrong. Joshua twenty three fourteen says, And ye know that all the hearts, you know in all your heart, And in all your souls, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord God spake concerning you. He says, you know that not one thing that God said failed. Everything that God said came to pass. He was talking to the children of Israel. And every time God told them something was going to happen, it happened. We can trust the forecaster this morning. We know that what he has said is accurate. Secondly, and there's only three points. We're going to be done. We'll be done quick. Secondly, I want you to know that it's important to know who's affected. Who's affected when a forecast goes out? You know, there's always an affected area of the forecast. 
you know, if they closed the road up in Bel Air for a few days, really wouldn't bother me too much. It's not going to affect me. But a few weeks ago when we had that storm and uh, there was seven trees down between here and Miller. And the road was closed for hours. That was very inconvenient. <laughs> for a couple of days, we were, you know, creeping around trees and, you know, trying to keep from driving up through people's yards and stuff. The, the road was closed. It affected the people right here in this community. There, there's always an affected number of people. Sometimes they'll say, you know, 100,000 people are out of electricity. 100,000 people were hit by this or a million people were affected by this storm. You know, when they talk about tornadoes in Oklahoma, the fact of the matter is, is I sleep okay. I sleep okay. You say, man, you ought to be more compassionate than that. Well, you carry the burden for me then. But you know what? When I lived in Kansas and they talked about tornadoes in Kansas, that's a different story. Because it affected me, correct? Can I tell you this morning that the forecast in the word of God affects all men? Romans chapter 5, verse number 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. All men, all of us, and I'll tell you what, the officers that are here today, they see society at its worst. There is no question in their heart and mind that men are sinners. That men have a propensity to do that which is wrong. It's part of human nature. We have to fight against that in and through the power of God to overcome it. But the fact of the matter is, is we're all sinners. The forecast is for all of us. You know, it's a proven statistic. That one out of every one is going to die. It says death hath passed upon all men. We don't know that it's going to be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be 10 or 15 years from now. Lord willing, it's 60 or 70 years, except for some of you, you might be ready. You're saying, I don't want to live another 70 years. Amen, Bob. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you might be ready, but however long it is, but we don't know the day or the hour. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I can tell you, if there's anybody in the room today that doesn't know what a day is going to bring forth, it's the officers that are with us. They go out on duty, and this is one of the reasons that we value and appreciate your service so much, is because we know that every day that you walk out into that job and into your communities, there is a chance that day will be your last day. My great uncle, Gordon Smith, was an officer in Midland, Texas. There was a warrant out for the arrest of a man charged with sexual assault and murder. Two officers saw this man in a restaurant early in the morning. They approached him, maybe not totally aware of the situation, and he fought them, was able to flee the scene, and in the struggle, he was able to secure one of the officer's weapons. He fled the scene with an officer's gun, a 357. The An all-out manhunt went, everybody on duty, we got to find this guy, he has an officer's gun. They searched all day. My uncle, great uncle, who went by the name Tex, 
worked all day. Close of his shift, he went back to the precinct, got a new partner, and was going out again. He was very tired, having been out all day, so he let the fresh officer drive, and he got in the passenger seat. They hadn't been on the road very long when they believed they saw the individual running down an alley. Gordon, Tex, jumped out of the car, yelled to his partner, said, drive around to the other side, and he chased this man down the alley in Midland, Texas. He chased him down the alley, and there was in the middle of the alley there a wooden fence. In front of the fence, there was a 55-gallon drum, which very likely had been used by others to do the very exact same thing. But this man fleeing from the officers jumped on top of the 55-gallon drum, hurled over, over the fence onto the other side. In pursuit, Tex jumped on top of the 55-gallon drum, stood up to climb over to the other side, except the individual was not fleeing. He had stopped, turned around, ready with the gun. When Tex stood up, he shot my uncle in the chest. Gordon Smith, as he was falling back, he took his own weapon and shot the individual. Both shots struck vital organs. Within a few minutes, both men lay dead, one on each side of that fence in a dark alley in Midland, Texas. You know, Gordon Smith, when he put his uniform on that morning, he was not planning for that to be his last day. He said goodbye to his wife and his five kids that morning, expecting to be able to come home to them. And we understand, officers, every time you go on the job, that is a possibility. We thank you for doing it. We support you. We support your families that sacrifice for you to work the long hours you do to get stuck on a job when you were supposed to be home at 6 and you don't get home until 6 in the morning. But the fact of the matter is, whether it's today or tomorrow or 25 years from now, the forecast is that we're all going to die someday. And beloved, we have to be prepared to meet God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. If we know the forecast is sure, and there's nobody here that's going to deny it, I know we like to put it out of our mind, and we like to not think about it, and we like to say, oh, that day's coming someday, but it's not coming for me, it's not coming now, so I'm going to ignore it. But the forecast is sure, one day we will pass away. So if that day is coming, and we know it's coming, then one of the reasons that forecasts are given Thirdly and lastly this morning is so that you can adequately prepare. That's what a forecast is for. It's a warning. Many times the forecast goes out and they will say, uh, hey, prepare. You might be locked in your home for several days. You're not going to be able to get out. And what do you do? You have a run on the grocery stores, right? All the toilet paper is just taken. 
<laughs> it's all sold out. We can't get any toilet paper anywhere. We got a black market for toilet paper now. <laughs> and, and, and all the water is gone. And if, it, if I was doing the shopping, all the Mountain Dew would be gone. Amen. You got to have the priorities. <laughs> got to have things right. Well, if the, if the officers thought anything good of me, I've ruined it now. So you got that. It, it, it's an opportunity to adequately prepare. That's what the forecast is for. Maybe you're supposed to take shelter. I was in Lawrence, Kansas, when more than one tornado touched down, and uh, one time out on the road, a tornado was coming to town. What are you going to do? Well, you, you try and find a, a good, strong bridge, try and find some place to get out of the weather, try and find some shelter. The forecast says the tornado's coming. You do what you can to protect you and your family. You prepare. Whatever there is, there's some plan that needs to be implemented to prepare you for the coming peril. I mean, even if it's just a simple shower. The forecast said there's going to be rain tomorrow afternoon, 100% chance of rain tomorrow. I don't think anybody would be planning a picnic. You say, hey, I'm going to adequately prepare. You're going to look ahead. You know, when these officers enter a scene... Isn't it best to have as much information as you can get when they go on to a scene? I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to call 911 uh, and you're on there with the 911 operator and you're calling for police assistance for whatever reason. You know, they're trained to get as much information out of you as they can. They want to know all kinds of details. Your mother's maiden name, your social security number. No, they, they want to know who's there, who's involved, when did it start, uh, is it still escalating, is there anybody injured, who's injured, how bad are they injured, oh, they've been shot, where were they shot. As much information as they can get, all the more details they can have. Why? Because when the officer arrives on scene, they can be more adequately prepared to deal with the situation. The worst thing is to, 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 to go into a situation completely blind without any knowledge of what to do. Oh, beloved, we have a forecast that we know it's appointed that a man wants to die. We know the day's coming that we're going to pass away. And you say, okay, Pastor Caleb, you told us we know the forecast is, is, is glim. It doesn't look that bright. So uh, tell us how to prepare. Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a jailer over in the book of Acts that he asks the same question of Paul and Silas. He was a jailer, and he looked at Paul and Silas. He asked it a little bit different. He said to this, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul looked at them, and he pointed him to Christ. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You know, he didn't say, okay, what you got to do to prepare for meeting God you know, a lot of times when people are close to the end, whether somebody's on death row or uh, somebody's in the hospital and they've been given just a few days to live, obviously as a pastor, many times I'm in a situation where I'm with somebody very close to the end. Oftentimes the, the, their heart and mind will be turned to the fact, listen, I need to prepare to meet God. And a lot of the philosophy or ideas today are, hey, uh, quick, you got to do as much good stuff as you can do. You only got a little bit of time and you got to outweigh all that bad you did. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says. It's not about, you know, Paul didn't look at him and say, hey, uh, I'll tell you what, next Sunday, you got to be in church. You, Paul, Paul didn't look at him and say, what you've got to do is you've got to go and be as nice to the neighbors and as kind to other people. And uh, listen, that'll do it for you. Those are good things. I mean, by all means, please, next Sunday, be in church. 
But that's not how you prepare to meet God. He looked at him and says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He pointed him to Christ and Christ alone. Beloved, there's nothing that you and I can do. You know, even if you could, and we can't, but even if you could keep all of the commandments, that's not how you prepare to meet God. It's just not what the Bible says. I mean, that's a good thing, a worthy ambition to try and keep all the commandments. But even if you could keep them all, that's not how you prepare to meet God. You put your faith and trust, your belief in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. What he did to pay for your sin. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, listen, you're, you're saved. The Philippian jailer asked, he said, what must I do to be saved? Well, over there in Ephesians, he says, it's not of works. There's nothing we can do. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's him and him alone. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Except through Jesus. Putting your faith and trust in him. Not only did Paul point him to Jesus, but also Paul gave him a promise. I'm sure you officers have had opportunity to give a promise to somebody I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, so you guys correct me if I'm wrong. But let's say you're throwing somebody in the back of the car. I wouldn't know nothing about that. But if you did, and let's say you confiscated, so they didn't injure themselves, their pocket knife or uh, their wallet or their cell phone, you made them a promise. Listen, in 10 years when you get out, no, I mean, (laughs) listen, when we get to the to the county, when we get up to the precinct, you'll get your stuff back, right? I promise you it's going to be safe. Nobody's going to do anything with it. We're going to put it right here. You can see it the whole time. People are such babies. <laughs> Anyways, you take it away, and you make them a promise. Like that, something similar. There's probably other promises you might have to make. It's a promise that you can take to the bank. You see, Paul gave him a promise He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say that, oh, this might work for you, try this. He didn't say, hey, if you do this, and and you do it exactly correct, and and there's nothing, you know, then maybe it's going to cover you. No, he gave him a promise, a promise that you can take to the bank. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. He says, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God the Father raised him, God the Son. Which we know the story of Jesus. He came. He was born of a virgin. Mary, we celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. We celebrate his resurrection at Easter. And and we know this about God. But have you ever confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That he might be the payment for your sin. That's what he says you got to do. And you have a promise from God. You might say this morning, well, that's great, Pastor Caleb, but I'm really not religious. I'm really not, I don't, 
have, you know, you talk about faith. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Yeah, I don't have much faith. Yes, you do. Every one of us exercise faith every day. You know, when you go to McDonald's, you're having faith that that 17-year-old behind the counter didn't drop that hamburger on the ground <laughs> before he put it in a bun for you. <laughs> I mean, you're, you have faith. You know, when you go to the gas station, you fill your car up with fuel, you have faith that what they put on that little sticker there that says 87 or 89 or 93, that it's actually what it says it's going to be and it's actually going to fill your car and make it run. They're not, they're not just pumping water into your car. You have, you have faith when you go to the grocery store and you buy all of those pre-packaged, pre-processed goods. You have faith that it was done correctly, that it was kept clean and they didn't accidentally introduce some bacteria into it or anything like that. You have faith that that's all been prepared right and you go home and you feed it to your family. We all do. We exercise faith. You have faith in those uh, vitamins and pills that you take, that they are what they say they are. That they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Oh, you have faith in the doctors and the medicine that you take. That the practice that they've done, that the work that they've done to prepare and the advice that they give you is what you need to do. You know, I ask you today if you could have faith in a human doctor for... What makes your body sick? Could I ask you today, could you have faith in God for what makes your soul sick? And it's sin. And Jesus came that you could be forgiven of that sin. That it could be washed away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should never perish but have everlasting life. You know, we actually live in an area, it's one of the best in the country and maybe even in the world for certain things medically. We're very blessed. We got University Medical Center. We got John Hopkins. People come from all over the world to be at these hospitals. Do you know if you had a particular ailment, whatever it might be, and you heard about a doctor that was very successful in treating that ailment? You know, just knowing about the doctor in your head and say, man, I know that he can do that. He's successfully done it many times. Do you know knowing about that doesn't fix your problem, does it? You're still sick. And what you need to do is you've got to go to the doctor, right? And apply that which he offers to bring healing to your body. So just head knowledge about it doesn't make the difference. Well, beloved, there's a lot of people that have head knowledge about Jesus Christ. They know that he came. They know that he died. They know that, you know, he offers a way. They might not understand all of the theological words and ramifications. But here's the thing. To know that he's done that for you is one thing. But there has to be a time in your life where you went to the doctor. And you applied what he offers as forgiveness for your sin to your life personally. You have to have received it at some point. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's how you receive it. 